0: Do you suspect or even know if your teenager is using drugs? Do you struggle with figuring out what to do next? Do you feel overwhelmed, scared, or angry? Well, you are not alone. This is the Teen Drug Abuse Podcast, where we explore all the signs of teen drug abuse, reveal science based impact, and share potential solutions that might just be the next thing you need to try. Here's your host, Ziv Raviv.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Teen Drug Abuse podcast. Today with me, we have Kim Minch. Kim is a certified parent coach all the way from Dallas, Texas, and she's also the founder of Real Life Parents Guide. Hi, Kim. How are you?
0: Hi, Ziv. I'm very excited to talk to you today. How are you?
1: Thank you. I'm I'm good, and I'm excited as well because one of your expertise is actually all about setting boundaries, which is something that... As parents, we have to have this skill and we have to develop that skill because, in the different parts of the life of identifying that your teen is using drugs, you will always be in this situation where the the boundaries are being breached again and again and again in all sorts of ways. So, first of all, I want to ask you what made you choose to help parents with these very hard topics of substance abuse?
0: Yeah, that's a very good question. And it's because of my personal experience. I, um, I have five kids at this point. My oldest son is 35. But when he was 20 years old, I received what I call my parenting wake-up call. But it was also a personal awakening. My son called me. He was living across the United States in a different state, And he called to say that he had lost the last three days of his life to alcohol. He was in a blackout and it wasn't the first time and he needed help. As a mom, I knew that he had definitely had some mental health challenges during high school, but I had no idea that he had gotten into using alcohol as a way to cope with those mental health issues. So he was 20 years old when he called me and for the next probably 12 to 16 months he was really in a very up and down state with he could go a couple of weeks without drinking but then when he did he went completely overboard and would need medical detox he received a couple of drunk driving citations he ended up in jail a couple of times so it was a progressively up and down challenge with him. And I had to really educate myself, first of all, on addiction, and then on how to parent someone through their addiction, because I had no idea, right? I just was very, very anxious and worried about my son and his future and choices he was making. So fast forward, I went through that very difficult time with him and made a decision that I wanted to help others in the situation. I went back to university to get a degree and become a licensed chemical dependency counselor. I passed the exam. I started on internship. I needed to do 4,000 internship hours to become a licensed counselor. And about 1,000 hours into my internship, I decided helping teenagers who didn't really want help was not my greatest calling. I loved talking with their parents. I loved working with their parents because I had been that parent. And so I could really identify with their anxiety and their stress. So I, at that time, it was 2016, I heard about parent coaching. And so I went through a program to become a parent coach and focused my messaging and focused my help in general on parents of teenagers and parents of young adults. That's where always been my focus. I also, because of my own personal experience, my son suffers from clinical depression, anxiety, and OCD, so obsessive compulsive disorder. So those are some things that he continues with even today. But I focus on helping parents whose kids have mental health diagnosis and substance abuse diagnosis. I'm very grateful to say that at this point, my son will be celebrating 13 years of sobriety in May of this year. So just in a couple weeks, he's married and financially independent, never went, attended university, but he works on computers, and he's fully, you know, financially independent and living living a life with continued mental health issues, but they're manageable and he's using obviously coping skills that aren't alcohol.
1: Wow. First of all, that's such an encouraging story and I bet it was quite a, a difficult journey, especially in the beginning uh, when you did not have enough tools and also a personal story of yours of, of, of finding your calling and of uh, fine tuning it and understanding that your calling is to help parents and uh clearly this has been worth it with with the wonderful results that you're getting uh with your son and of course with uh, with the parents that you work with so i I'm so grateful that you shared this story with us now let's try and kind of get into the nitty gritty details of like i I will need you to Go back in time to the situation where it's still fresh and there's still a clearly well-established problem. Maybe the problem is not as severe yet, but parents that come to you, they have uh, different stages of se- severity of the problem. Sometimes the hard part is ahead, even even when you admit to to want to to get help. Often, I think because I think that a lot of time, drug abuse and, and substance abuse is tied to some sort of, of of difficulties, right? It could be anxiety, it could be depression, it could be other stuff, schizophrenia, mm-hmm. bipolar. There's a lot of uh, things that can affect a person and, and then get them to, like, they, they just look for self-medication. Yes. So let's start to talk about um, boundaries. Why are boundaries so important? as a parent
0: yes i think that boundaries well let me let me just say that the parents that i work with are coming to me because they are parenting from fear and their fear is coming from they don't know their their child is making unhealthy irrational choices and decisions because they're trying to cope with a mental health issue or some past trauma or something the parent is But the parenting from fear and they're so afraid of what might happen, they're not necessarily they're, they're getting, they're enabling, they're enabling the situation at times. So if I could take a minute to explain helping versus enabling. So when a parent is helping or anyone, right, the definition of helping is doing something for someone that they cannot do for themselves. Okay. That's helping. And it's occasional. We do this. And especially in the context of a family, it's usually reciprocated. You know, like I help my daughter sometimes. Sometimes she helps me. Enabling, on the other hand, is when we do something for someone that they can and should be doing for themselves. And it is a repeated pattern wherein the person doing that, whatever that is, knows that they shouldn't be, but they continue to do it. It's not reciprocated, right? So enabling looks like continuing to give money to a problem that you know your kid is like using it for drugs instead of what they're saying. They might tell you, I need lunch money for school, but they're really using it to buy a vape pen or whatever it is they're buying. So parents because they're afraid and because they're anxious about what their kids might be doing, sometimes get into a pattern of doing things for their kids that they shouldn't. And also, they usually come at the situation angry because they're angry about the the decisions their kids are making, but below that anger is fear. Right, they're they're, but that they, when they come at their their teenager or their young adult in anger, it only exacerbates the problem.
1: So enabling, in the context of of, uh, of 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 drug abuse and substance misuse, is when a parent actually does something for for their kid that enables them to keep on doing something that is actually unhealthy, and I wonder if. To some degree, you can enable those type of behaviors by giving them full access to their phone. Because a lot of mm-hmm. times they have all these apps in their phones that can, in a click of a button, get a person to get to, to sell them you drugs. Try. Sure.
0: Absolutely.
1: So absolutely,
0: parents can enable also by If they know that their child is recovering from, say, a blackout or whatever, they might call them into school sick and they're not really sick. I mean, they're they're recovering, but the parent is trying to cover up what's going on because they don't want people to know that something like this is going on in their family. Or they maybe sometimes the parent has their own substance use issues and it's too hard for them to help their kid because they can't even help themselves kind of wow. thing.
1: Well, that's, that's uh, definitely a, a more complicated situation. So uh, now that we understand the differences between helping where the kid actually cannot do something, right, and enabling, how does knowing that helps us identify boundaries and set setting them up?
0: Yeah. Okay. So you know these things. Parents need to really look at the situation that they're in with their teen- teenager or young adult in terms of how am I contributing to this issue of substance use? What am What is my part in this? Am I ignoring signs? Am I coming at it with anger instead of a desire to help because anger, again, typically forces will put a kid in a situation where they'll do more lying they'll make other unhealthy choices and just the situation usually gets exacerbated when parents get angry so setting boundaries helps parents look at themselves in the situation and say where who do i want to be when my son or daughter is abusing substances am i going to be the parent that helps them self-medicate that way? Or am I going to be the parent that won't give additional money? And I don't, and I don't, and I know parents typically, are. they're literally not giving money to say, here, go buy pot. But any financial assistance that they're giving to their kids that could be going towards drugs or alcohol, that's assistance, right? So other than the boundary might be, we will provide you with a warm home, clothing, food, but we're not going to give you extras. Maybe, maybe depending on the situation, not even access to a phone. Really, It really depends. Every family is a little bit different, but I help families look at the current situation that they're in and figure out where they are contributing. Parents are contributing to the problem. And what boundaries they need to set in order to move their son or daughter towards treatment, towards stopping the use, towards not coping with that unhealthy way of coping, of learning different coping skills that are healthier.
1: So what would you say about a situation where the parent's enablement is like already taken care of, so they don't give the kid extra money? and they set up the boundaries, but then the kid is looking for a loophole. For example, they will go up and say, we found a job. And a lot of times when kids use drugs regularly, that job is could be illegal, could be very dangerous. So mm. what would you do then when the boundaries are not, like the boundaries trigger the kid finding ways to maintain your boundaries but still enable themselves.
0: Right. Well, typically when a situation continues down a path of someone using drugs or alcohol, right, it is a progressive thing. Progressive things will, will happen that may require some additional boundaries or may require literally, first of all, let me just say in the United States, and I don't know about with you, but it's a lot easier to put a child into substance use treatment before they're 18 than after. Parents whose kids are still during the teenage years, if they catch this and it continues and, and the, the kid is just not respecting the parents point of view and they're just going ahead and the and the job that they got that you talked about is funding their is funding their their habit. It gets to a place where if things get far enough out of line, parents just have to put their foot down and say, treatment is, you need to go to treatment. Like you, we can't contribute to this self-destructive behavior. You're going to need to go to treatment. It gets infinitely more difficult with over 18. Is it the same way by you? Is it, is that actually,
1: that? actually, it's like uh, we, we've interviewed people from Canada and in the, in the UK. And uh, in Canada and the UK, they have to get consent of the teen for any type of, of, of treatment like that. In Israel, it's more of like in between. So it's a parent decision that can, you can decide. However, there's still a committee. So they, because it's funded by the government, they, it goes through all these committees before they admit a kid to that. So they don't have to get him to agree, but it's not as simple as, okay, I'll just go and pay for it uh, or whatever. Gotcha. But how, just from your from your years of experience, how often were you in this situation where you were working with, with parents, where you were coaching them? And a lot of times people don't really understand what does it mean, parent coaching, because you, you actually help them with every situation they go through, with giving them not just support of listening and giving them information and psychoeducation and tools, but also like literally helping them raise themselves in a clearer way, find like the solutions that, that fits their needs and so on. But how often do you actually yeah. go into the direction of encouraging parents to to admit their kid into some sort of a treatment?
0: I would say if there's enough red flag behavior, right, enough unhealthy choices, the parents are telling me there's been a progression of physical or legal troubles or sometimes both, right? The parents use me as a sounding board for someone who has personal experience as well as someone who can hold space for their emotions because they're highly anxious and stressed out. Right. But I also help them see the things that they're doing right at the time. I affirm these are yes, take, you know, yes, taking the car away in this instance is that is what that is, you know, so reassuring them that some of the things that they're doing are right. And then also helping them with verbiage to talk to their teen or young adult and to feel confident about it. Because the thing is, kids are are going to push back when they don't feel that their parent is 100% in conviction and confident in the boundary they're setting and that you will not leave the house in the middle of the night. If you leave the house in the middle of the night, this will happen. And the kid has to feel that from the parent.
1: And a lot of times this is, even harder to get the kid to feel that way if we don't get both parents on board when, when we can. Absolutely. So, and yet like, what's your, your preferred choices about like treatment? Is that like a go-to solution? Is there something you try to avoid? Where do you stand on that?
0: Mm, Well, okay. So from my personal experience, Where I stand is typically a kid has to go away someplace away for treatment overnight for an extended period of time, not close to home. They need to get away from the environment, really be able to focus on themselves so that they can process through whatever it is they're self-medicating, learn some different coping skills reinvest in themselves and get out of the friend group. A lot of times there's just, you know, and I I know families that have moved to new states to once their kid has come out of treatment to give them an entirely new outlook. Not every family can do that. But in my opinion, my son had to move far away, go to treatment and B, not if he had come back to the same environment, he would have gone right back to it because those were his the friends that he had were using drugs. So thank goodness my son was twenty. So when he went, he made the choice to stay away from and not go back to his to his the his same environment. Old. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's almost impossible to to get out of treatment and back to the same environment without any change and expecting things to go different now because there's yeah. so many day-to-day triggers in the corridors of a school, outside of the school. You know, they only know all the, all, all the loopholes. I, I remember my kid explaining to me how they fool, pulled the, the school guard to get out of school to, to this space where they would smoke weed every day. And it just like super fasting, super scary. In, in the beginning, you react in, in, like you said, in place of anger and fear. But uh, the bottom line was like that school was not, not, no longer safe for her to go yeah. back. Yeah. So I understand the importance of boundaries from what we've discussed. And I understand. Like the, the the importance of environment and how sometimes we as parents, we, we are accomplices to, to a problem. Like we actually enable the problem and contribute to a really unhealthy situation. And we need to be aware of that. But how do you actually conduct this conversation where you, let's say, for example, let's say the boundary is about the phone, right? You want a new boundary to be set where you, as the parent, get access to their phone. And they no longer have privacy. So how do you get to, to 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 conduct such a difficult conversation? You know, they're not going to be happy about that.
0: Yeah, You use a very calm tone of voice. You use eye contact. And really, it has to do with the parent feeling confident and having processed all of this anxiety and the stress and whatnot, right? They have to have a safe place for that emotion to be heard and to work through it before they have the conversation. Because if a young person doesn't feel that from the parent, they're going to push back and they may push back anyway. I mean, honestly, they may push back anyway. So I always tell parents, do not say something unless you are going to follow through with it. Do not do that. And a lot of kids know their parents in the past haven't followed through on things. They say one thing, and then when the kid messes up, they don't follow through with the consequence. And so the kid knows this, but that parent has to work on getting to a place of feeling very calm and confident because as parents, we carry energy and our kids, I mean, as people, we carry energy, but our kids feel our energy. And if they feel at all that we are ambivalent, or that our words aren't in alignment with our actions, they will use that and push and they will push back.
1: What are some implications that uh, you found efficient and practical that you advise parents to use? For example, from now on, I'm going to take your phone uh, once a day and make sure that you don't use drugs. Uh, that would be, for example, a boundary. So, I use my tone. I've, I've listened to, 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 to the interview and I'm, I, I flushed my feelings in the proper uh, setting, mm-hmm. maybe with a psychotherapist. You're yeah, mm-hmm. I'm confident. But you said it yourself like, there has to be, and if then, right? it has to be that, that you at least know the implications and ideally that the kid knows the implications. So, what could be you know, some implications for that?
0: Like a con- consequence, I think is yeah. what you're saying. Yes. Right. Okay. So if the yeah, kid won't doesn't want you looking at their phone or won't, then the parent takes the phone. But the parent takes the phone from a place of love and not control. There's a difference. I mean, it's the same, it's the same behavior, right? The parent taking the phone back but it can be perceived in two different ways. One, that the parent is trying to control the situation and they're angry and they're frustrated or the other, out of love. I cannot, I cannot. This phone gives you access to self-destructive behavior. I can't, as a parent who loves you, allow you to have this instrument that contributes to your self-destruction. I can't do that as your parent.
1: So it's about having the rationale of your decision explained and be from a place of of love and care and not from a place of punishment and control.
0: Yes. So fear and control breeds disconnection. When you come from a space of love and confidence and I won't, as your parent, contribute to your self-destruction, It's a different energy.
1: Wow. Uh, We're almost running out of time. So I just want to ask uh, one more practical question about your opinion on uh, drug testing. When do you recommend uh, your clients to use them? Do you find them efficient? And what's your take on that?
0: I have never done it personally. And I... It's up to my clients to decide how that they go about that in their family. I don't recommend one way or the other. I just think there's, just like with the phone, there's a lot of ways around drug testing. And I think that it kind of, at times, I I, I view trust as a two-way street. And so if we want our kids to trust us, we have to be on the up and up with them. And I I understand that there are probably a lot of families that feel very strongly about giving drug tests. And quite frankly, the positive behind that is the kid can be like, well, I can't do drugs because my parents are going to test me. So I absolutely see the value in that as a parent who didn't personally do that with her kids because I felt like I wanted to have a trusted relationship. I didn't have... A reason with my other four kids to go that route. With clients, I support whatever they stand on it, wherever they stand with it.
1: fair Enough. Thank you for sharing uh, your personal experience and your your opinion on that. Uh, I find it really efficient when done regularly and from a place of like a mutual decision about like I want these freedoms. So as a way for me to prove to you that that I can be trusted with these freedoms, just check every month uh, or whatever you choose.
0: That makes sense.
1: And then it's a part of like uh, like almost a recovery plan that is built from the ground up. So, But I can see how it can be also misused uh, and con- perceived uh, by the teen as some sort of a punishment or, and mistrust, ongoing mistrust. Yeah. Uh, especially yeah, with but the way you tests. framed
0: it, I like it. The way you framed that, I I think that makes a lot of sense. Like I hmm. said, it really depends on the parent.
1: Kim, where do people, where can people go to learn more about what you do?
0: They can go to my website, which is www.reallifeparentguide.com dot
1: And uh, we are going to put uh, the links to the website on the show notes, uh, so that you could continue driving if you're driving right now and listening to this. And um, Kim, it's been a real pleasure. Kim Minch, a fountain of knowledge. And thank you for the generosity of sharing some of your insights with us.
0: Thank you, Zip. Really great to have a conversation. Thank you for listening to the Teen Drug Abuse Podcast. To get additional resources and support, go to teendrugabuse.co.